Hey, Chicago Fire fans and Major League Soccer fans, this is Nick back with our 42nd, that's right, 42 episodes of Feed the Fire, a Chicago Fire podcast. And in this episode, we are we talking playoffs? Are we there yet, Chicago Fire fans? In the standings, no, but maybe in the mindset, do, do we dare reach out and pull ourselves up above that playoff line? Or is this just the part of the season where the Chicago Fire like do just enough to get you to buy back in, to get you to re-up your season tickets, to get you to start going to games and then get and going to bars and, and pulling your jersey out and then only to fall completely flat on their face uh, in another week or two and just, you know, fall out of League's Cup, lose three straight in the league. I don't know. Where are we at in the Chicago Fire cycle, I guess, right? Anyway, we're going to take a look back at the win versus Nashville that has people talking playoffs. We're going to look ahead at the next match against Montreal. Quick turnaround here, uh, Saturday to Wednesday. Another match that has people talking playoff implications. And then uh, we're going to take a quick look around the league at some notable matches, as well as hear from our featured guest, John Donovan. Now, before we dive into the actual uh, recap of the game, I want to do a short kind of semi-retraction for something I said in the last episode. I had mentioned that I knew someone who knew someone who had heard it from Ante Razov that as a coach, Frank Klopas loses the locker room really quickly and that there's no buy-in anymore. Um, that was not from Ante Razov. I misspoke, I guess, in trying to start the Razov to Chicago Fire coaching rumors. I had him on my mind. It was actually... Chris Rolfe, who had made this comment to a friend of a friend of mine who had said, yeah, Frank Klopas loses the locker room really quickly. And then, we, you know, we extrapolated that a little bit with Casper Shabilko saying he's not appreciated and wants out of the Chicago Fire organization uh, and is all part and parcel of that same kind of message. So go back last week, listen to that episode to hear the full details on what Shabilko started on social media. Now, looking back at Nashville, the big game, the big win, a 1-0 victory in Soldier Field. The first time that the Fire have defeated Nashville in five tries, and they've given up two hat tricks in Tani Mukhtar in those four. So not a good record coming in, but a little bit of a better record coming out now. 1-0 victory is all they needed. Now, looking at this game, big picture here, right? Glass half full, optimists. We just beat the second place team in the Eastern Conference. We've got two winnable games coming up against Montreal and Toronto. We're tied on points for a playoff spot, but we don't own the tiebreakers. So that's why we're below the line. And Herbers is scoring goals. Things are great here in the Windy City, the lakefront. Everything is feeling good. But then the glass half empty, the pessimist, the, oh, I don't know, host of the podcast in me is saying this. The Fire, yes, they've won three of their last four, but they're more that team that lost to Orlando than they are the team that barely beat a banged-up Portland team, a rotated SKC team, and a similarly rotated Nashville team that saw Hani Mukhtar on the bench, Walker Zimmerman not play because of a red card, as well as a couple other starters off on international duty. So the Fire can only play the teams ahead of them. I get that, but let's just say... These three wins probably aren't against these the best of those three teams. Also, even winning three of their last four, the Fire are still in 11th place on a tiebreaker for that last playoff spot. So the Fire, 
by results are probably in their best run of form during the season, and they're still only off the playoffs on a tiebreaker. Part of that, of course, is those two of those wins come against Western Conference opponents, Portland SKC, and so they haven't been able to make up ground on any other teams. But that's the opportunity they have coming up here. And the other glass half empty, yeah, Herbers is scoring. I mean, you want to look at that as a positive, fine. You, I look at that as a huge negative. He's usually your third or fourth option when it comes to an actual play developing. And he's been playing defensive mid during the course of this spell of scoring that he's on. Gutierrez isn't scoring. Shakiri's not scoring. Salase's not scoring. Your wingers aren't getting involved at all. Or I shouldn't say getting involved at all. They're not getting involved on the score sheet. They are helping develop some of these plays. Um, your forwards aren't scoring. Kai Kamara, who pretty much got signed so he would stop scoring against the Chicago Fire because he scored more goals against the Fire than any other opponent. Asterisk tied with Montreal. Um, but they built him up as ready to set this record. He's not scoring. Shabilko's not scoring. Shabilko's not playing. Uh, and Jorgos Kutsius isn't scoring either. So all of these offensive players and weapons that you have on the Chicago Fire team are not scoring goals, and it's been Fabian Herbers with three goals in four games scoring for the Chicago Fire. And and as I tweeted out, over his tenure here with the last uh, three, four seasons with the Fire, yeah, I think going back to 2020, he has scored ten in 10 games, 10 goals in 10 different games. I don't think he's had a multi-goal game for the Fire. In games that the Fire score, they've got nine wins and a draw. <laughs> <laughs> or in, in a game that Herbert scores nine wins in a draw. It's ridiculous that that man is just such a statistical outlier for the Chicago fire. But again, to me, the fact that Herbert is scoring is a bigger problem for the Chicago fire. Like kudos for him taking advantage when he can, but the fire need more offense. They need someone who can figure things out tactically Frank Klopas is not that guy, and it doesn't appear anyone else who's been on the Chicago Fire bench in the last five years was either. All right, we're digressing here. Let's get back. The the Ferber's goal, Fabian Herbers, the Ferber's goal in the 34th was the difference in this match, and it was off of some good counterattacking and wing play, and we said it in our preview episode, if the Fire are going to win, they are going to have to bring the ball up the wings. They cannot get bogged down in the midfield with Nashville. So they get a turnover, bring it two quick passes up the wing, pull back pass to the top of the box. Herbers is there to convert. Uh, so at least maybe somebody in that organization in listen to my last podcast saying that it needs to happen on the wings. Meanwhile, I guess nobody was listening in Nashville because they tried playing the ball up the wing, turn it over to the fire and got counterattacked themselves. So, uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about this game uh, in its essence from John Donovan, but I do want to look at the statistics here because the game itself was really uninspiring, underwhelming. This is That game is not how you get people to become fans of Major League Soccer. Uh, it, it really stagnated in large parts. You saw a lot of counterattacks failing. You saw a lot of uh, poor possession. Um, so let's take a look and see if the stats kind of bear that out a bit. Uh, the fire ended up with 42% possession, give or take, uh, and six shots with only one shot on goal. So again, hardly any offense. Offense. Meanwhile, Nashville generated 18 shots, but only two on net. So you saw that their counterattacks weren't even producing, and I would say a lot of those shots came in the second half when Hani Mukhtar uh, came onto the pitch. 
only 355 total passes for the fire. So they were absolutely letting Nashville do what they wanted. And Nashville only had 489 passes. So it's not like Nashville was dominating possession. So again, really ugly. No team really had the ball for a lot and only 80%, 81% passing accuracy. So even when the fire got the ball, it's not like it was in dangerous places. It's not like they held onto it for a long time. Only two corners, only 13 crosses. So not again, not a lot of crossing the ball in from the wings. The one time they do it, they get the goal. Um, as far as duels and tackles, t- tackles one, only four to Nashville's 11. So it's not like they were even playing that great of one-on-one defending, uh, but they were winning some duels. Brady comes up with two big saves. It feels like there were a lot more saves than the two he's credited with on MLSsoccer.com. But again, he has stepped up this season. He has played so well. Uh, I think he was kind of the unofficial Twitter man of the match for a lot of fire fans and for me as well, because it was his defense. It was his shot stopping. It was his kind of bailing out some of the defenders in in instances that preserved the clean sheet on this one, 36 clearances for the fire. So yeah, they're just booming it, especially in that second half, eight fouls, one yellow card, no red card. So at least this was a more disciplined game. I'll call it in the the sense that they only drew one yellow card. Uh, The advanced stats here, XG only 0.6 expected goals. From the fire. That means of all the shots that they took, they were expected to only score 0.6 goals. And if you look at it, Herber's goal had an 18% chance to to go in. Gutierrez's shot in the 50th minute was given a 21% chance by the models. But then nothing more over 10%. There was like a couple shots that were like two and three percent chance of going in. So once again, the fire win, despite having one of the worst offensive performances uh, on the pitch here. Now, let's also take a a quick break here. We're going to bring in John Donovan to add to this. So if you're listening on the podcast, you'll hear John Donovan's great segment. So I encourage everyone out there on YouTube to make sure you're following along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, But on the YouTube side, we're going to take a short break. So with that, John, let's hear what you have to say. Nick, John Donovan here talking about the Chicago Fire and the MLS. Chicago came away with a 1-0 victory over Nashville. I... Never thought that would happen, Nick. I I really think that uh, Smith, the coach of Nashville, is one of the premier coaches in the MLS. I'll, years ago, uh, he was coaching a team. He was coaching Colorado, and he went up to Toronto for the soccer Super Bowl, and it was cold as heck up there. And he came back with the championship, and the ownership fired him. And I never understood that, Nick. Well, Nashville was... Nashville is a well-run organization. They've got a beautiful uh, following. They've got a beautiful stadium. They've got a good team. I didn't expect the Fire to walk away with a win on this. In deference to Nashville, they did play without their all-star fullback. Um, The coach, Smith, for some reason, he didn't play Mukhtar in that first half. I guess he's trying to hold him back because I think they play Philly on Wednesday. And then uh, Shackelford, who I really enjoy watching, is with the Canadian team. So um, I, it seems that when teams come in to play Chicago, they seem to hold back that that ultra star in the first half, thinking that they've got a pretty good deal going with Chicago. But it didn't work out this game. I mean, you know, it it just soccer never stops amazing me. It was a very even game uh, going into about the 40th minute. 
And uh, the the fullback from Nashville made a critical error. He cleared the ball and he cleared it right into Herbers, who made a very intelligent move to Selassie, who drove deep. And Herbers just has found his spot on the field on the top of that penalty area, and he drilled it. I mean, how many games has he done this now? Three games? I think he's won three games for the fire. I've enjoyed him a lot. He had a uh, podcast on last year with Gressel, and it was it was a funny podcast. I mean, he he was very honest about the game. I enjoyed listening to him. Um, but, I mean, he was the reason. I, I liked the way that Klopas started him. I, I would stick with the Herbers deal rather than putting Federico Navarro back in. Herbers is sharp. He's smart. He's a rough guy. He plays um, to the limits, plays a lot of positions, but he seems to have fit in relatively well with Jimenez back there. Speaking of Jimenez, I didn't see him too often in this game. It, I was trying to focus on him a bit, and it didn't seem he was part of this game that much. I, uh, you know, They've got another year to go with him. I know that they uh, brought his contract down to a TAM contract, but... It's going to be terribly interesting next year what they do with all these DPs and so forth. I mean, they're, they're, they brought that kid in from Switzerland, and they didn't play him. He's a DP. Um, Shakiri, I believe, has another year to go, which is very sad. Um, I, would, I think I would do something a little bit different what uh, Dallas did with uh, their center forward. But in referring to Gutierrez, I would put Gutierrez on a DP contract. He definitely is playing well. He's getting better every game. He's a Chicago guy. Why can't we why can't we sign some DP players that are Americans? I mean, it's it's a it's a good move. Chicago has not made a lot of good moves. I would assume that Heights is going to be gone next year. I certainly hope Heights is gone next year, but uh, it's something to think about. Now the starting lineup on this this game against Nashville, finally, finally, Klopas put Kutsias out there. And I thought he had a really good game. He he does press the ball. I mean, he's good on defense. He's pressing those, those fullbacks. They don't come up to the midfield and start just uh, passing the ball back and forth. With him on the, on the uh, forward line and Selassie, both of those guys are young and fast. And I like the way they both play together. It's uh, you think back at the beginning of the season, and it was, I believe it was Casper and Selassie. Oh no, Selassie had, had to work his way onto this field. But uh, with Jimenez and Herbers uh, at the uh, the defensive uh, halfbacks, and then I was very um, Dean played for. Uh, he played the right fullback position for Suquet, who was out on a red card suspension. And I thought he played very well. His speed is good. He doesn't get himself in trouble. He does not do stupid, stupid um, yellow card plays like we've got going with Navarro on the other side. Um, it just was a pretty well played game. I, I thought the probably the player of the game for the fire was Brady. I mean, in the second half, you could see that that Nashville team stepped up their pressure when they put Mukhtar in. It's a it's a really different squad when they have him out there. He's he's a dangerous guy on the field. We're lucky to have him in the MLS, but uh, he created some very difficult saves. In fact, one of them was a direct kick that Brady really pulled up. You know, I, I'm thinking Brady at this point, 
I mean, he's really playing well. He might be playing better than Gaga did last year, in my opinion. I really like the way he was playing. It, um, you know, I always talk a little bit about uh, Shakiri. Again, he had an all right game. Shakiri doesn't advance the ball; he passes the ball. He'll take a trap. He turns and. Uh, he doesn't make that defense commit themselves like Gutierrez does. Um, I wrote a letter to Klopas and I suggested that he just use Gutierrez in that middle because Shakiri he just doesn't bring the defense out of their position. He tries to pass it to a wing. He, he does have a great left foot. Obviously, a team should be playing him all the time left, but you know when the ball's deep in the fire area, he is not running. He's not a defensive threat at all. I mean, he, um, I hope somehow or another the fire can get out of his contract next year. It'll be terribly interesting to see the, the moves that are made. Tehran came in and I thought he looked a little bit healthier. You know, he, he did, I think he really got hurt. He was out for three games and then back a little bit, but, um, I like to see him back in there. I don't know why Amsberg, I didn't check the injuries, but Amsberg wasn't even on the bench. Um, they put Burks in and that is dangerous. I mean, it, it, uh, in my opinion, he's not an MLS player. I think he's a USL player or UFL player. I, uh, don't get Klopas's reasoning on that. And then finally the Navarro, Miguel Navarro, it, you know, soccer is a manly sport and every time somebody breathes on you with a three mile an hour puff, you go down. It just looks crazy. I mean, he goes down at least 15 times a game. Anybody, any pressure on him, he goes down. They were fortunate on that goal that Davis um, touched his back on the goal. I've watched it a few times. It wasn't much of a push, but the way he did a swan dive after that, that push, the referee had no option. So he probably saved the game with some of his acting, but I would feel better with uh, a Seves out there or Dean. It's just... It's a better team. I think it's a better squad. So thanks a lot for the the time here, Nick. We've got we pulled up a little bit in the uh, in the playoff hunt. We'll we'll have to see what happens. Um, looking forward to the next game. Uh, say, Mike, I hope you're listening. Your guy Shackelford is uh, is a Canadian national player now. So congratulations. Have a good night, everybody. All right. Thank you so much, John, for all of your insight and for keeping us abreast of your takes on the Chicago Fire, what happened in that Nashville game. And I want to remind everyone that our featured segment is brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Skira, which is Icelandic for clear, comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. It is not your average water. Clearly, yep, pun intended. It's one of the best. And Skira Icelandic Spring Water is available at your local 7-Eleven. I suggest you stop by. Stock up for the week. Stock up for the USMNT games, the fire games. For all your barbecues, go ahead. Make sure that you're well hydrated this summer. So now we're going to take a look at some of the notable matches that we said we needed to pay attention to. And I'll give you a couple picks for this Wednesday match day. Um, I said we need to look at Montreal-Atlanta. We needed to scout Montreal a little bit, as well as we need to see if Atlanta is going to continue to kind of separate themselves from the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. And they did just that, a Brooks-Lennon goal, one nothing. 
uh, gives Atlanta the full three points. So I think it's pretty good that Chicago gets to host a Montreal team coming off a tough loss and then having to go back on the road to Chicago. Uh, so this bodes well for the fire. We'll see if they can find a way to screw it up anyway. Uh, the other game I said keep a lookout for was LAFC San Jose as both teams were kind of bouncing back from losses to the Galaxy. And it ended up in a 1-1 draw. And if you're San Jose, I guess you take it. You take the road point uh, at LAFC. But LAFC is not having a very good home run of form. And they need to figure out how to improve if they are going to secure one of those top four Western Conference playoff spots. I also said take a look at Vancouver-Seattle, and that game did not disappoint. Seattle, 3-2 victors in Vancouver over the Cascadia rival. Let's just say Leo Chu had a day. Two goals. I think he even may have had an assist or a double assist or involved in that in that game winner. He is playing very, very well and has been playing very well with Jordan Morris away on international duty. Uh, Seattle still holding on. I think there's still in that second spot in the Western Conference and just doing what they do. I had said in the last episode, they're kind of quietly in second place, but this is a game that said, look, Vancouver took the lead on them. Seattle comes back. Vancouver regains the lead. Seattle comes back and then ices it. So uh, this was a real big game from an emotional standpoint as well, a statement game, if you will, coming back twice and beating your rival. So great game for Seattle. One other game I do want to mention, because we have to now put the Galaxy back on our radar. They had a terrible first half of the season, dysfunction in the front office. They get rid of Chris Klein, who was, I think, their GM or sporting director. They have won their last couple of games in a row here, and, and they beat their rival LAFC in that historic match at the Rose Bowl. Record attendance in MLS, 82,110 at that game with Ricky Poosh scoring the game winner, just out hustling the LAFC defense. And then he comes up big again in this game with a banger of a goal. Uh, like he puts his head down, runs forward. You knew he was going to take that shot from the moment he received the ball and turn up field. He was not looking to pass. He was looking for the back of the net. He Great goal, find the replay. He's come up big. And I, and I say now we have to bring the Galaxy back into the Western Conference playoff conversation because I think Ricky Pouch has started or probably figured out MLS a bit, or at the very least, he has figured out, I'm the guy on the Galaxy, and I am just going to do what I have to do to, to help this team win games. I'm going to put this team on my back. No more, let me be the facilitator. Let me kind of work the team in. I don't want to look selfish. I don't want to be the guy from Barca. And I'm speculating. I don't know if he said any of this or maybe thought this. Um, but I'm just going to be the guy now. I'm just taking over games. I'm better than most people. That switch gets flipped, and he's just going to take over. So I don't know if the Galaxy as a team have turned the corner as much as Ricky Pouch has kind of flipped his switch. But keep an eye on the Galaxy over the next few weeks. Let's see if they're for real. But as far as this Wednesday goes, I'll give you a game in each conference. I'm looking at New England and Atlanta. These are two top teams in the Eastern Conference. Um Atlanta squeaking by a win against Montreal. New England having some tough results. They've got uh, Dewan Jones away on international duty. Um, we'll see if Atlanta gets Giacomacchi's back in, in his form, if he's scoring again. But these could be a couple teams who are going to meet in the playoffs, and this could be kind of a momentum setter, as well as just maybe momentum setter over the next few weeks before they get into League's Cup against the Liga MX clubs. My Western Conference pick, I'm watching Sporting Kansas City hosting Real Salt Lake. 
We saw Real Salt Lake sign Chicho Orango, the former LAFC great, who I think did a short stint in Liga MX and is now back in MLS uh, with Western Conference rival RSL. Now, Sporting Kansas City started slow this season. Of recent form, I think they've taken points in three of their last five games, so they've kind of hopped over a few subpar teams in the Western Conference. And with a win here, they may push into the playoff picture. So that's what's on the line for Kansas City. Not to mention it's a rivalry game. But RSL is currently sitting in that fourth spot in the West, and they are going to want to hang on to that home game, that first-round home game, if they can. So you know they are going to take this game very seriously, and they're going to, of course, it is the rivalry game between Salt Lake and and Kansas City. Uh, I don't know if it's an officially named rivalry, but it certainly feels like one to me. Uh, And then with Arango integrating into this lineup, We'll see if he still has some of that magic. I think he scored in his first game back for them. So a um, lot to watch for here. Could be a lot of goals there depending on uh, Krylock and Arango's form and Polito's form. There could be a lot of goals in that game. I would make sure to tune into that if you're looking for a Western Conference match. And then, of course, our Chicago Fire are hosting CF Montreal. Let's preview this match that has massive playoff implications as i mentioned the chicago fire are sitting in 12th place excuse me 11th place while montreal is in ninth place montreal is holding that last playoff spot right now but they are level on points montreal owns the first tiebreaker they have eight wins and the chicago fire and the red bulls who are in 10th have six wins however goal differential favors The Red Bulls. Right now, Red Bulls are minus one goal differential. Chicago is minus four goal differential. And Montreal is minus nine. So if the Fire can get plus two, plus three on Montreal in this game, I don't think it'll happen. But if they can, that will go a long, long way. Not just leapfrogging Montreal in the standings, but helping them to get close enough to prevent Red Bull from owning that tiebreaker on goal differential. Even though that is the second tiebreaker, when you've got teams this late in the season, this close, you never know how those wins are going to shake out. So massive, massive playoff implications uh, with this match on Wednesday. One other question I have is, is this going to be like a Chinoso 04 revenge game? The former Chicago Fire, much aligned, much, much maligned, 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 that's it. Much maligned striker uh, who I, I remember him unfavorably uh, as the guy who couldn't score against Union Omaha in the U.S. Open Cup uh, a year ago, and also the guy who could just never make the most of any opportunity he got with the first team when it came to actual MLS minutes. He goes to Montreal, scores a couple goals. Maybe all he needed was the change of scenery or a little bit of motivation, but he has not, I don't think, been getting as many minutes uh, as he initially was when he traded to Montreal. But, hey, who knows? Maybe he will get that, like, run out in the 80th minute or something and find a way to to steal points from his former club. We'll see if he's got the revenge factor and chip on his shoulder. But let's look a little bit at the tactics here. Uh, Montreal has been lining up in a 3-4-3 formation its last couple matches. Uh, maybe not a traditional three forwards where you got a couple wingers. Maybe it's more a false nine. Maybe it's more of a 3-4-1-2 or 3-4-2-1. Uh, type of formation, but basically it's a 3-4-3 with some offensive wrinkles. Uh, Mason Toy is their main attacker. 
Uh, but Bryce Duke has been playing well since being traded from Miami. I think their strength is definitely along the left side of their lineup, their typical lineup, um, where you have Victor Wanyama and Ariel Lasseter as your midfielders, and then you have uh, Duke and Toy being able to link up with them either along the left or kind of up the middle, wherever they can have that little bit of one-two, have that little bit of ball down into the corners and cross it in. So I think those are kind of – when those four players are linking up and playing well, that's when Montreal is dangerous. Fortunately for the fire, that hasn't happened much this year. Mostly because Montreal star Romel Kyoto remains sidelined with a hamstring injury. Uh, he didn't. He wasn't available in the last match against Atlanta, and even if he is available for this Chicago Fire match, I don't see him getting more than than a handful of minutes at the end of this match. Uh, hamstring injuries. You need to make sure you are 100%, if not 110%, before you get back out on the pitch. Because if you re-aggravate that hamstring, you're, you're back to square one. And all those two, three, four matches that you've missed were all in vain. Because you're going to miss another four, five, six matches before you're back. So uh, I would not expect him to come back in any sort of meaningful way against the Chicago Fire. Much to the chagrin of Montreal fans. Looking at Montreal from a statistical standpoint, though, looking over at fbref.com and, and kind of sorting through some of the stats tables, advanced figure tables, Montreal is one of, if not the worst offensive team in Major League Soccer. They're second worst in goals scored, assists, expected goals, and pretty much every other offensive statistic. They're like bottom five. And defensively, their statistics really don't favor them either. It's not like they are uh, they have some amazing goalkeeper or they're blocking tons of shots or you know their possession numbers are through the roof that don't allow the opponent time to shoot and score whatever it is. No, their defense statistics are like bottom 12 at best, right? They they are not an impressive team by any sense of metrics, numbers and and probably the eye test for for a lot of it. So how are they in this ninth place position and barely clinging to this playoff spot? Well, everyone below them has just been that worse. I really think that's all it comes down to. And if you look, again, goal differential, minus nine. Playoff teams, no matter what league you're in, are teams competing in the top half, because essentially that's who gets into the playoffs in MLS more than the top half. Like two-thirds of teams are getting in. But if you look at leagues around the world, your top half teams, if if not your top third teams uh, in the table, are all having positive goal differentials, at, at least by several. You know, it's not like a one or a two. They're, usually you're having a plus five, six, seven goal differential. And once you hit that negative goal differential line, when it flips from positive to negative, you're probably about a third of the way to a half of the way down the table there. Um, so for Montreal to be at minus nine and in a playoff spot, is an anomaly, even though the fact the playoff line goes down about two-thirds of the table in MLS. That does kind of bode well for the Chicago Fire. They can make up ground on this Montreal team, and this is the game to do it. So let's take a look at kind of where the, the Eastern Conference table lines up and how I think the Fire are going to be able to get into that conversation. Right now, there's kind of four levels in the Eastern Conference. The top level is Cincinnati. They're far and away the best team, at least when it comes to points and quality right, right now. Struggled the last couple of matches, but still in a league of their own, at least when it comes to the points. You've got the home playoff tier, 
and I'm looking at Nashville, New England, Atlanta, Columbus, and maybe Orlando pushes into that. So those five clubs are all kind of vying for a home playoff spot. Maybe Philly. They're, they've got a number of wins, so they should they might compete depending on how they finish the season. Then you've got the third tier for me, which is fighting for seeding. And in there, it's squarely Orlando, Philly, maybe D.C. fighting for, are they going to maybe host the home game? Or are they going to end up sixth or eighth? Who are they going to match up with? And then my fourth kind of tier in the East, those that are just fighting for a playoff spot. You know, I'm, I'm eliminating, eliminating Toronto and Miami right now because they're so far out of it. Um, but fighting for a playoff spot, you got D.C., Montreal, um, who are currently in but have a lot of work to do to make sure they stay in. And then you've got Red Bulls, Chicago, Charlotte, New York City, who are all fighting, who still have a legit chance to get into the playoffs. They are all within a handful, probably I think four or five points of each other. So this matchup with the fire in Montreal is massive for both teams because with the with a victory, the fire will put themselves into a playoff position. If Montreal wins the game, then they will keep the Chicago fire below them, even on tiebreakers for for at least another several weeks and we'll have a good shot going into uh, their next match with the fire. I don't believe they've played yet that first match. No, this is their first match. So they've got another match coming up with them. This would be huge for Montreal to steal it in Chicago. Now let's look at a little trivia. I'll give you the odds. We'll make my predictions and then we'll kind of uh, see some other uh, international updates from the gold cup. So here's a little bit of trivia in the match. Montreal has won only one of 11 away matches this season. So it is road points are extremely hard for them to come by. They, however, have won their last four matches against the Chicago Fire. They won the home and away in 2022, and they won the home and away in 2021. So they've got a little bit of recent history on their side in that respect. Also... I feel like I we, we bring up Kai Kamara's name in every little bit of trivia against every team, anything MLSsoccer.com puts out as far as like matchup trivia between these two teams, just because of Kai's journey across MLS. But Kai Kamara has scored 13 goals versus Montreal, including the playoffs, which is the most against any MLS opponent for him. And I'm going to say a little asterisk because he also has scored 13 goals against the Chicago Fire, as I mentioned at the top of the episode. So um, this could be a big game for Kai. I don't know if he's going to get the start. I wonder if because Kutsius wasn't effective in his start in their last match against Nashville, that they slot in Kai. And because it is a midweek, maybe that would be a good time to get Kai to start and have Kutsius come off the bench or who knows what they're going to do with Shabilko at this point. Um, they just need legs. Maybe at this point, though, I'd be willing to throw in a midfielder. Like if you're not going to, if you're going to have Jairo Torres and, and Haile Selassie on the wings and Gutierrez and Shakiri centrally, and you got to bring in somebody, throw another midfielder up front. Let the, let Haile Selassie play striker. What do I care? Right? I He's much better on the wing. I wouldn't put him up there. Hey, maybe you bring Jairo Torres, play him in a little more advanced position. Maybe uh, if Dumbia is available for this game, then he slots in in a defensive mid position and you put Herbers in an attacking position if you're not going to want to put Kutsius in. Who knows? There's a lot of ridiculous things the Fire could do with this lineup. Even when they're getting their lineup right, you never know what's going to happen with it. So um, those are just some ridiculous things that I'm throwing out there. 
But looking at the odds here, right? According to BetMGM, and this is as of Monday night, the 10th, the Chicago Fire are big favorites. They're at minus 130 to win the game. So you bet you'd have to bet 130 bucks to win 100 if you're picking the Fire to win. Montreal, on the other hand, is plus 320, uh, and the draw is at plus 275. So the Fire have have some odds makers betting on them, uh, regardless of Montreal beating them in the last four matches. You're going to get that home bump, obviously, but to be plus 320, I mean, those are like Chicago Fire odds. <laughs> so maybe we'll, maybe who knows, Montreal will flip the script on the odds. The uh, over-under line is set at 2.5, uh, and the over is, and the under is at, I think, minus 145, and the over is at plus 100. So that line um, would be an interesting one. I doubt two offensively challenged teams are going to hit three goals in this one. So as far for me, I am actually going to pick uh, those three goals and take the Chicago Fire to win this game 2-1. to one. Um, I, I can't pick a get, I can't pick in favor of Montreal after everything we've talked about, after looking at their stats, after looking at their numbers, especially after seeing them have that goal differential of minus nine. This might actually be a game that the fire uh, can get more than one goal out of, or, or maybe even drop two or three, depending on the flow of the game. Um, but I think the fire do get the win. And honestly, I think this is the first time I have picked the fire to win in at least six weeks so we'll see if that means anything if i'm putting a jinx but hey i'm just a guy podcasting hopefully i don't have that much influence on the universe but i do think the fire in this instance they're the better team uh the numbers are on their side the statistics are on their side they're at home uh midweek game they have a few more midfield reserves than i think montreal does and that should give them the edge and if you are a betting person and you do love the insanity of the Chicago Fire, Fabian Herbers to score is at plus 225. He's got better odds of scoring than Brian Gutierrez and Jordan Shakiri for whatever that's worth. All right, as we have hit the half-hour mark, let's quickly take a look in at the Gold Cup. The United States may have played their most memorable Gold Cup game that did not involve Mexico. They take the lead and then give it up in the 87th minute and the 93rd minute. Then we go to extra time. Then they they go down in the 109th, I want to say, or 105th, and then somehow get an own goal to come back and draw it in the 115th. And then it's Matt Turner. And people say anything can happen during a penalty kick shootout, but that really discounts how good of a goalkeeper Matt Turner is. And he ends up stopping three Canadian PKs to give the United States the victory, man of the match. He's fantastic. Can't praise Matt Turner enough for how he played in this game and the penalty shootout. And the USA advanced to play Panama in the, semi, in the semifinals. Um, and as I had predicted in our last episode, I'm going to take the U.S. to win this game to advance to meet Jamaica in the finals and bring home the trophy. So that is my gold cup recap for a little more in-depth detail. Go find the last episode on that. Well, with that soccer fans, I will let you enjoy the rest of your day. Find us on Spotify, follow along there, subscribe and like on YouTube, please rate review, share the show. Let's grow the conversation around the fire and around major league soccer. I would love to get into the ears of as many people as we can. 
with this show, with this conversation. And with that, enjoy all the matches this upcoming week. And let's go fire. Go fire.